Welcome, fellow pilots and other podcast listeners, to another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communications Chairman David Campbell, and with me today we have your MEC Chairman Will McQuillan, Negotiating Chairman Chris Gruner, Strategic Planning Chairman Drew Coyle, and your Scheduling Chairman Scott Rubin. I don't need to tell any of our listeners, it's been almost a month or so since we've had our last podcast and a lot has happened. So on this episode, we'll do, as as we often do, a bit of a State of the Union address from your Chairman Will McQuillan and, of course, talk about the implementation of our contract that's been underway. And so with that, I'll just hand it over to you, Will. Yeah, no, thanks, David. I think it's a good moment to, to look back and record a podcast because it has been just under six months since we ratified the CBA. And a lot, as you said, is happening, has happened. Um, we'll start with an implementation update, talk about a number of issues. Certainly the elephant in the room that we hear about every day, uh, trading and in particular the underlying issue of staffing. Um, talk through some of the details of recent MOUs and agreements that we've tried to to due to ease things on the pilot group in light of the staffing reality that we do face. Um, again, MOUs in general, and uh, maybe characterize a little bit about what they are and why they happen. Um, we'll let uh, Scott talk a little bit about finally what's happened after so long as the third step, third step trading will be live here. Um, and in particular, why it's a useful tool and uh, several of the other issues that we do hear a lot about uh, attrition, uniforms, uh, the recent ability to list for a jump seat, and uh, looking forward to the market rate adjustment uh, you know, topic also up in September. And I think finally, it's always good to remind everybody that uh, 2025 is just right around the corner and bolstering the volunteer ranks in preparation for that reality is, is pretty important. Thanks, Will. And Chris, let's talk about the implementation. I know you've been hard at work and Get us up to speed on where we are right now. Yeah, so as you guys are all aware, we've had a pretty aggressive implementation uh, timeline laid out in the MOU. And honestly, so far, it's been going pretty well. So there's been a lot of people working hard on that. So it's really uh, me, Scott, and Will have been to a lot of kind of the uh, higher level meetings with the company. And, you know, to their credit, they've been inviting us to like executive steering committee meetings and things like that so we can track the same things they are and make sure that we can help them identify any potential roadblocks. Chris, I think some perspective on implementation process might be worth mentioning because it's been a while since we've had a a new contract that was negotiated and then voted on like this one. And so I think everybody feels like, you know, we should have everything we negotiated as soon as we sign it. But that's not practical. And and to the point I'm trying to make, we're doing relatively well in the context of other agreements. Yeah. And I'll get to some more specifics here in a minute, but I think what's been really great is, you know, I talked a little bit about some of the higher level work, just making sure all the pieces are moving together, but just a tremendous amount of work and from the different committees also to make sure things are staying on track, whether it's the hotel committee, and uh, getting in front of a lot of these hotel contracts and making sure that those are being moved forward correctly. Got the payroll committee and checking all of your pay and working to uh, get all of that stuff uh, moving effectively. And then a ton of work from the scheduling committee, which uh, Scott will talk about here as well. And I know I'm missing people out, uh, uh, family awareness committee, a a ton of other uh, folks across Alpa, just uh, really working hard on the different elements of the contract to keep it all on track. But 
yeah, as you guys are aware, you know, the bulk of the work has been done in scheduling. So uh, we can kind of walk through that a little bit and have Scott provide a little bit more detail. But I know, Will, you wanted to say something first. Well, just something that was touched on earlier that I think maybe it's a little different this time. I mean, even though it's exhausting for the three of us while we go through it, the fact that we are, you know, as a relevant stakeholder invited to these meetings and able to track and push our priorities and make sure that things are, are moving and that when we do see things start to slip, we're able to reach out um, as we did in both ADG and on third step. Well, much of the implementation centers around scheduling. So let's just go right to you, Scott. And, and I know you've been as busy as Chris. So what's going on in, in that committee? Yeah, thanks, David. We changed a lot of stuff in this contract. The pilots demanded change, especially in the scheduling. And, and you know, we negotiated a contract that has a lot of change. And these changes take some time to do and get the programming correct. Um We've been working really hard trying to stay on track and get these things implemented, not only in a timely manner, but so they're implemented correctly. We've been working really hard to get deadhead full credit. The next month we got average daily guarantee implemented as full credit. Um, those are big steps, took a lot of programming. And to be honest, it took a lot of wrangling um, and pushing on our part to get these things um, implemented when we said we'd get them implemented, both from a company standpoint and from um, our third party vendors that have to accomplish the programming to make these things happen and effective. The new one, like we mentioned, is third step is going to be live this month for bidding for next month, which is also uh, another big lift and something that took a lot of programming. And as you know, this pilot group's waited a long time for that third step. We continue to push and monitor and advocate um, for the new reserve system to be implemented on time and the PBS system, which um, both things, and we can break these down a little bit more, but, but they're tracking on the, on the timeline that we set out. And, um, and so far everybody's rowing in the same direction to get these things accomplished for our pilot group. There is a, that one challenge is the reserve system and making sure that that gets done on time appropriately, I guess. And I think, you know, with that one, the only restriction we have in the uh, MOU is that it can't be implemented after PBS. And frankly, PBS, the way it's written, doesn't work without that reserve system in place either. So again, we told you guys that we were pushing really hard for it to be implemented by the beginning of the summer. Right now, frankly, it's looking like it's going to be uh, closer to the end of the year, hopefully still a buffer between the reserve system and, and PBS when that rolls out. A big challenge there is really programming. There are some critical things that have to be programmed for it to work well or, or at all, frankly. And that's both on just the reserve side itself, but also on the trading that goes alongside with it. We want to make sure it's rolled out all together so all the pieces are working the way they're supposed to. And, you know, both bid block holders and reserves are getting the full benefit of it. Uh, when it does come into uh, play. So just wanted to catch you guys up with that. Again, no, nothing violating the MOU agreement, and we're still working hard to move it up as soon as we can, but um, it, it will be later than we were initially hoping. Yeah, but it's, I do think, I think the important part of that is that the more we break it down, the more we look at it, there really isn't a good way to to push it on that earlier timeline without a whole bunch of either manual workarounds or just, you know, 
processes that wouldn't turn out the way that we had anticipated nor negotiated. So I think it's this is one where it's actually worth allowing things to be done and done right. So I just kind of ask a question to, to the whole group, and, and this is something I've had several pilots uh, ask, and that is, it sounds like most of this stuff is, is tracking the way it's supposed to. Is there any place where we see uh, the implementation agreement and, and potential points where the, the company or, or us are faltering to be able to implement on time? Or overall, does it look like everything is going uh, the way it should and, and on time? Well, the obvious one's the jump seat piece there. And the company acknowledged that right up front and owned it. And they've been working to get that done quickly. So that is going to be online. And remember, this is just listing for the jump seat. It doesn't change the process at all. But that should be in place the week of uh, April 17th in fly. And then uh, it will be then visible in Jetpack uh, relatively shortly after. I don't have a timeline on that yet. So that's that's the one uh, obvious one I can think of right now, Drew. But uh, I think so far everything else has been rolling out on time. Uh, one more is the international per diem. I guess I'll go ahead and mention that one as well. Um, that took some programming. So remember, uh, you get per diem uh, for domestic, and then it's separate for international, which includes Hawaii flights. Um, you have not been getting paid that because the programming hasn't been in place to capture it. But the programming is complete. Now they're doing some final testing, then they'll provide a back check, I think, to December 1st or back pay rather back to December 1st to capture the uh, international pay. And then it should be uh, good to go moving forward. But um, in each of those instances, again, it was programming uh, limitations and things along those lines. And we've, uh, we've gotten it moved forward, I think, uh, pretty expeditiously still, but nothing major uh, as far as the critical components that we have explicitly outlined in the MOU. I'll add to that too, Drew, that, you know, we've been very diligent to try to stay ahead of these issues so that they're identified so we can still hit the timelines. And I mean, that's been challenging at certain times, uh, you know, ADG, third step, certainly. Um, but once we saw the the issue that was uh, potential going to be a roadblock, then we immediately started working to remove it so that we could get it done. Yeah, it's been, I was going to say just to the, all of these elements, the IT lift, the programming, the third party vendors that you have to work with, that's been the frustrating piece. And it's not just us as far as an airline goes. I know that those same frustrations um, and feeling like you're pushing on a string you, to get things done are happening at other properties as well when it comes to these IT issues and programming. I just don't uh, know that it's fully appreciated how much of an IT lift is involved in some of these elements. One of the biggest barriers to quick implementation uh, is the IT side of things and, and being able to program things. Just recently talking to some of our peers at Delta, and that's uh, one of the major issues they're running into is they have uh, a lot of IT changes that have to take place, and that is going to delay the the process from happening immediately. So, you know, we're not unique in the fact that we, you know, what we negotiated requires a lot of changes to these electronic systems that we use. And, and I think Delta's, you know, feeling the exact same thing we are. So I don't think we're unique in that regard. I will say, I think Scott and his team did a really good job kind of foreseeing a lot of those issues because I know the conversations we had during negotiations revolved around, you know, what could we do and trying to work through those trade-offs up front, like how long will take some of these programming things take and were they even possible before we negotiated to move forward with it and uh, so i know that was 
part of what uh, we we tried to identify and, and put in place as part of this contract. And I think that led into this implementation agreement and then making sure all this stuff's on place, in place. So I, I think, uh, you know, the scheduling group here did a great job being constructive and kind of getting in front of those issues. It's never going to be perfect. You're never going to be able to snap a finger and get it done right away. But I think they did a solid job overall. I want to come back to something that we touched over briefly, which was listing for the jump seat. And I just want to make sure it's very, very clear. The jump seat has not changed in the policy procedure or what's in the contract. We're talking here about listing for the jump seat. And Will, would you put more flesh on that topic? Yeah, I think certainly the idea is that there's visibility on the jump seat and jump seat requests. And so being able to list for the jump seat and have that visibility to the, the captain of the flight in order to know that people are trying to, to ride is important. Um, I think that the communication that went out on the company's side kind of addressing this new feature was a little misconstrued and we spent a lot of time and resources confirming that there is absolutely no change in process. Um, in fact, there should have been a clarification issued on that. And so it just gives you the ability to list for the jump seat. And then once you're listed for the jump seat and arrive at the gate, then you will be boarded on the aircraft as they clear the standby list based on what you you, know, you can hold. And then I think the, the verbiage that was confusing, at least in the company com, was that your jump seat or that your non-rev listing rather would be canceled. And that actually only happens as a matter of function when they clear you either the jump seat or the cabin seat in back. So I just, I, I do appreciate it. It's a good opportunity to, to clarify that and also remind everybody that we have, you know, a strong number of pilots that are trying to get to from work and that this visibility is an important tool. Take a look at it, be aware of it, and then make sure that you're, you're not leaving anybody behind. Just put a finer point on it. There's no change to the jump seat status priority. It's just how you're able to list for it and give some visibility to the captain on board. Precisely. And I think another thing to to consider here too is you know we've been pushing uh, for pilots to make the walk just to make sure that we don't have non revs, we don't have commuters trying to get to work. So uh, just a, another way to to remind pilots that somebody might be trying to get on your flight, and you know without the captain uh, intervening or acknowledging that people are trying to do that, you know, it might be somebody's last chance to make a special occasion. It might be. Um, their last chance to make it to work on time. So we just want to make sure and always encourage that even with this new visibility, you know, make the walk, check to make sure you don't have non-revs or commuters trying to get to work. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've all been in the position to really have appreciated someone taking that extra step to make sure we were on board. Scott, where are we with the PBS implementation? Yeah, David, uh, you know, like I said a little bit a little bit ago, we're you know, we're on track for our implementation. We've worked through the business requirements document with the company and NavBlue. NavBlue has already started to do some uh, programming and write user stories. And, you know, we're finalizing some of those now and continue on working on those as we get into um, late spring. We'll be, continue to do that. It's, NavBlue is committed to giving us um, a release at the end of October, but they can give us another release even sooner, which will uh, facilitate um, the company IT department doing more testing sooner. Um, we'll go into uh, parallel bidding in February of 2024, where you'll get a chance to practice bid 
and that'll occur in February and in March. And then in April of 2024, we'll have it live and be using it for our May of 2024 bid period. So everything so far is tracking good. Um, our PBS working group guys have been working really hard to answer questions uh, that come up during the the um, programming and the business requirements document review. So yeah, we're it's looking good right now. Everything seems to be on track. Yeah, I mean, obviously that's going to be a key deliverable because when you start to look at the fact that we now have control over the pairings and we're still stuck in the line bidding process, that that does lose an element of, of quality, obviously, for the schedules for the pilots. And so the whole thing will come full circle by the time uh, we're within PBS. And uh, even though we can't control how those pairings get placed on lines currently, it'll be it'll be nice to have PBS on board. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff coming with PBS, but but one of the things to highlight is the different credit windows that pilots can get in and not be forced to a line average that we do in line bidding. So when one pilot bids high in, in credit and somebody else can go lower, we're, we're kind of handcuffed in the line bidding w- world right now because the window to build these lines is so tight. And that's why you see the same credit on all the lines is because they have to hit that line average to hit their staffing. Whereas in a PBS world, there's more flexibility and going higher and lower and, and pilots getting what they want for credit, as opposed to everybody being forced to one credit in the line bid world. Hey, Scott, you mentioned a term that might be unfamiliar, a user story. What is that? Yeah, thanks, David. Sorry. We, we deal with these terms all the time. And um, a user story is just uh programmer jargon that you basically do a storyboard of what you want to have accomplished by the programming. So if this happens, this, this is what the result should be and, and what you want the system to do once it's developed. Gotcha. It's basically like end user interfacing. Yeah. Well, Scott, the third step is about to go live. Tell us about that. Yeah, I'll start with the date so everybody can kind of mark it on their calendar. April 11th at 9.30 in the morning is when Third Step's going to open. And Hey, Scott, I'm sorry. I want to ask just one more basic question about describing what Third Step is. I think, you know, we all have in our mind, we've got First Step Trading and Second Step Trading, and people think, you know, Third Step Trading is not just the third version of that. It's something altogether different. Yeah, that's a Thanks for asking that, David. Uh, third step is different from first and second step in that first and second step, the trips are static. So we have a list of trips that pilots can bid on and then seniority order you go through. And if the trip's still there, yeah, you can trade for it. Or, and that's in first and second step. Third step is different in that it's first come first serve trading and it's live. So if pilot A drops a trip in, Pilot B then can go pick it up and then trade it for another trip that then pilot C ends up uh, trading into. So it's dynamic. And in that 48-hour window that third step's open, the trip pool, the trips that are in third step, could change uh, dynamically as long as days you know, don't close when they, when they hit the, the close limit. But uh, that's, the, that's the biggest difference between the two is real-time dynamic trading. So in third step, how, how we have it programmed is if a day ends up closing, if pilots end up picking up trips, 
enough to reopen the day, the day can reopen and trading can resume. But that's not to say that if uh, a day is closed, the trading's dead on that day. I can still trade a tr day for day for those on, on the closed days. So if I have a two-day trip and I'm just swapping for another two-day trip or three-day, it doesn't matter. On those days that's closed, it'll still process. It's just if I want to drop a duty period on a day that's closed, it won't allow additional duty periods to drop. And, um, you know, there's questions out there. How do I access third step? And I think that's where I'd like to start the conversation. Um, first off, today when we do first and second step, we go into a step trade app and try to access, access that through the pilot webpage generally. With third step, it's just going to be in crew access, just like you do trading today with open time. That's where you're going to go to see third step. And so if you're an eligible bidder for third step, meaning you held a primary line and were able to participate in first and second step, third step is going to be available to you. And so at 9.30 on the 11th, you can go in and start trading in crew access. The difference between that and open time is two things. One, on the trip header for each of the trips, you're going to see third as opposed to OT for open time. So that's one difference. So you'll know that you're trading with third step by actioning trips that say third. And secondly, is that what opens and closes a day is not going to be based off of reserve coverage. It's going to be based off of the number of open duty periods that remain. And I don't want to necessarily get into all the math, but we have instructions for third step. They're on GoodReader under the scheduling committee tab. There's a couple screenshots on there that can show you what you're looking for for the third step, as well as some reports you can run to see what days are open and closed, as well as um, how to filter for third step trips, et cetera. Will this still be around in PBS? Third step, no. There's really no utility in a PBS world to have step trades because the system itself is going to honor your bid preferences and award you the trips right off the bat. So it's much more efficient as far as getting the pilot what they want in the first award. Yeah, so theoretically, it should take care of all that when you get your award. I mean, maybe I'll ask it this way because I think some pilots have a concern about whether they'll be able to trade after PBS is implemented and after the schedules come out. Yeah, there, there, there'll be trading opportunities with open time. And that's another reason, you know, this new reserve system and trading off the total arc and total required reserves is going to be so beneficial. Plus our bad day, worst day language, they all work in conjunction together. But after the PBS award, there will be open time trading for pilots. Yes. Is there anything else that third step might impact? And we've talked a little bit about what open flying lines might look like later on down the road. Yeah, I mean, I totally anticipate a change in how the trips look that are in open flying lines, meaning, um, you know, we got another round of, of bid block holders exchanging trips. And so I, I think we will see a change in what you see in open flying lines. Do I know what extent yet? I don't. It, we'll have to see how it turns out. But I would anticipate um, there will be change. And, you know, pilots will trade out of a certain type of trip for another certain type of trip. Um, we'll have to see how it ends up, but I do expect a material change in, in what happens in open flying. Yeah, and we've, I, I know, tried over the last several months to make sure and point that out, too, just so that nobody is 
caught off guard as we enter this first round of third step trading and understanding that there might be a, a bit of a change or a substantial change even. We just don't know uh, to what those open flying lines are going to look like. Yeah, I think that's I think that's totally fair to say. Well, good. We've touched on it a little bit, but while we've got Ruben kind of on the hot seat and going, let's talk about the, like I said, the elephant in the room, scheduling, trading. And the one thing that I hear all the time these days is that I can't trade anything despite the new CBA rules. Yeah, well, there's there's a couple things to unpack uh, on this topic, but I think the first one is let's talk about staffing and and what we're seeing if we uh, attrition, we can talk about the attrition numbers here in a second. I know you have those handy, um, but the training throughput, pilots delayed in training, so they're not getting out online in time. I mean, it's having a big impact, especially you know you look at bases like uh, Seattle, Port, uh, Seattle and San Francisco and L.A., especially in the FOC. You know, there's barely enough or not enough FOs to cover all the reserve lines. And that has a material impact on our trading flexibility. Absolutely. And I mean, you talked about it too. The trading throughput is an issue and it's something that they, I know, are trying to fix, uh, which I guess we can talk about a little bit of that later. But, you know, the, the training throughput until it catches up is always going to be a material concern on this this trading piece and staffing overarchingly is. Um I do get a lot of questions about what does the attrition look like this year compared to last year. And I did reach out and ask the membership committee for updated numbers. And as of, uh, well, this is what, April 3rd, um, two minutes ago, we took two more. So we're at 54 total resignations for April with 63 total on the attrition for April as of the 3rd compared to uh, it was 60 at the end of April last year. All of this impacts the staffing. It all impacts the ability to trade. And you said fifty four for the for the year of twenty twenty three, right? Well, that's correct as of, as of today, yeah. as of Monday. Yeah. And you know, I, I will say, if with all the stuff we tr- changed in the CBA on trading, you know, revamping the MOUs, etc., if you had those, you know, fifty plus pilots on on the list right now where they're out flying or, you know, we would have trading flexibility like we intended, but that staffing is really impacting us and our pilots ability to trade. And, you know, also keep in mind that uh, cruise scheduling has a ton of new hires as well that are learning our CBA and not to mention still learning our new CBA um, for the schedulers that have had longer tenure and, you know, we working hard with uh, their management and through our scheduling floor volunteers to, you know, process these trades appropriately, you know, given that, you know, the, the changes to the trading MOUs have not been programmed in crew access yet. And so it has to go to the trade desk to be handled. Yeah, I think that point is lost all the time when I talk to people that they figure that it's already been programmed and it should trade automatically per the, the rules, but it doesn't. You've got to make that trade inquiry. And then more often than not, when they do, and if it's processed correctly, which is, again, you and the SFEs and everybody else kind of staying on the process, um, it does get processed. Again, we always have to say it. The MOUs don't deny trades. They facilitate trades. Right. You know, that, and we even get the, the trade desk saying denied per the MOU. Well, the MOU only processes trades. And I know it's a little bit semantical, but um, 
you know, the MOUs are there to make more trades go through and not that we're going to be denied because you didn't have the arc to cover it. And I do think there's a misunderstanding too. I've looked at uh, over at my neighbor's house at some of the denials that that they get per trade requests, and the verbiage chosen by the schedulers indicates that maybe they don't fully understand that nuance. Well, I think one of the easiest ways to explain that, and and what I've found makes sense for me in my head, is that if you have arc, I can trade anything anytime. It doesn't matter what it does as long as I stay above the minimum. And that's really the important place to start is if you have ARC, if we have the staffing, if we have the reserve coverage, you don't need the MOUs at all because your trade will be processed. And I think that's where the disconnect is with, with these MOUs, especially with the way it's worded on crew access. So I, I know we've talked about this before on, on previous podcasts, but it's really important to mention again that these MOUs are not denying anybody's trade. They're, they're trying harder to make the trade go through even when we don't have enough pilots. Yep, that's exactly right. And I think one other thing to to point out too that compounds the uh, the trading issues that we hear about is that in light of the staffing shortage and you know especially in some seat spaces, the company's elected to fully flex. And by using that full flex, there's more trips, more flying on everybody's lines, less white space, and less ability to trade. They're just trying to to deal with the reality of where they are in staffing. So much of our conversation so far has hinged around the staffing currently at our company. And one of the things that has been affected by that or or maybe even say resulted from that is the latest MOU that was just um, signed and put out to the pilots, MOU 2303 covering premium trips and reserve assignments. And so I know there's been a lot of questions and concerns about that. Chris, would you explain what that is and how we came to it and and maybe even talk about why we have MOUs and LOAs in the first place? Yeah, so I'll just start by saying, uh, you know, I know there's frustration about LOAs and MOUs being negotiated. And quite frankly, I think I've said this before, but when I first interviewed for the negotiating committee five years ago, um, one of the things I said during my interview was that I wanted to get rid of all of them and start canceling as many as we can because they're annoying. And, and here you are giving us more. Right. So it's a moral crisis I've got here trying to work through. But uh, we did work hard to try to pull together, uh, you know, pull as many of them as we could into the contract during negotiations. Uh, and so um, here we are. So I will tell you that, you know, working with the reps, uh, they do hear your frustration with these issues and we're trying to work carefully through this and um, do know that uh, this isn't something that, that, you know, has a union, we want to get in the habit of doing just continuously. But on the flip side, you know, I think you heard a lot of what uh, Will and Scott talked about and as far as the, the staffing issues. And a lot of these are short-term issues, you know, at least that's what we're expecting uh, right now, getting through the next several months. And then after that, you know, we've got a, a PBS and then more of a, uh, opportunity to get their staffing solution to uh, where it needs to be, you know, once all the training backlog and all that other stuff kind of comes together. So uh, the MOU we have and that we've negotiated recently is a temporary MOU for that reason. And I think as we were working through this with the reps, you know, a lot of the conversation uh, went down to, uh, do we want to just hold off right now on, on principle based on, you know, yes, the company should have their staffing solution together, or, you know, do we want to just 
work to address this on a short-term basis and uh, help pilots have a better quality of life in the interim and work to solve this in a way that doesn't negatively impact pilots. In fact, hopefully pro-pilot as you're looking at this. So, um, I mean, these are tough conversations. You're just looking for balance because it is important to make sure that the company's running their company uh, the right way and in a way that, again, has long-term positive ramifications for the pilots. But um, this is where we landed. So, you know, a couple of things that we were looking at is trying to find ways to make sure that we could maximize trading opportunities for folks. So, um, again, there's with a 200% or the option for pilots to be able to do that not necessarily trading, but the opportunity for guys to pick stuff up. And then that prevents the reserves then from getting overloaded, which then I guess on the back end, right, if they're not uh, having trips that they need to cover, that does free up ARC potentially. If you have staffing above that number and you're removing open time trips from the solution to allow more space for people to trade. And then also when you end up having the uh, just the new hire pilots coming in off of uh, the training cycle and go into short call reserve and not have an option for long call. Again, it uh, creates more opportunities to trade for the short call pilots and also the bid block holders, you know, are looking at staffing solutions based on this published short call wraps. And that was important to us is make sure they were published wraps who are working through that. And again, I know that has an impact to their quality of life. So we work to get those hotels for them in the interim for that one to six weeks that they're going to be in that status without being able to bid uh, for um, what they want. And remember, those new hires still have the opportunity to have the other provisions that are precluded from bidding language, like taking specific days off and things along those lines. So um, that's a lot and a little bit of space there, but I just kind of want to give a little overview there of uh, kind of what we were thinking, working through that and uh, why we ended up where we did. But uh, we'll see if anyone else here has any thoughts or anything to add. More so to the topic of MOUs and LOAs and kind of why are they necessary, because I think we both came into this job with a perspective that we weren't big fans, right? And, uh, you know, we're obviously never interested in concessions and rather, you know, we're always looking even after the ratification for ways to improve pilots' lives, even if it's, you know, not permanent like this MOU is. But they're also kind of, a, as I'm discovering, a very normal part of refining things in the implementation process and trying to make them all work better. Um, and certainly a way to capture things that maybe we weren't able to attain at the time that we negotiated the CBA with the, the sick leave payout at retirement coming to, to mind most acutely. Yeah, that's the goal, sister. I'd keep these things moving forward. To the extent we have opportunities to have conversations and solve legitimate problems in a pilot-friendly way, we want to be able to do that. And again, we also understand on the flip side, right? You guys expect to have a, a say and you know that we're following your direction and we want to make sure that again, you just have confidence that we are uh, working hard to listen to you know your input. We're trying to follow that and the best that we can. And, and then, of course, we understand um, that MOUs and LOAs aren't voted on. So we do try to be very judicious and careful with um, when we put those into place. So, Will, we've been talking about, you know, the implementation, a lot of the things that are in front of us that you've been working on, but there are also things ahead. What What is on the horizon that pilots can be looking forward to, to the work that you're doing? 
Well, thanks, David. As we said, you know, we're always kind of looking for different ways to improve the pilots' lives and or achieve goals that we weren't able to during the, the negotiations. Um, one of those things that has resurfaced, the company does want to talk about uniforms, and that will happen at, uh, you know, in the next month or two. Um, we'll take whatever time it takes to get it right, because I know there's a, certainly a whole lot of opinions and input, both from the uniform committee and the pilot group and, of course, the reps. And uh, the bigger issue, one that, uh, you know, we obviously have the market rate adjustment coming up in September and a lot of pilot talk about uh, what happens if other properties don't reach agreements in time for that to take effect or, you know, what's happening elsewhere in the industry. And I can simply say that while we don't have any active conversations at the table about this, I do not miss an opportunity to remind our management team where they are in terms of the the market and our peer competitor airlines in terms of that compensation piece. And that will, those conversations will continue and uh, hopefully at some point make it formally into discussion. And Will, what else is the MEC focusing on? Well, a number of things, starting with an MEC meeting in uh, April here shortly, where we'll revise and continue to look at the strategic plan towards 2025. And a key piece of that, uh, as we both grow the, the pilot ranks and towards contract 2025, is bolstering our volunteer ranks. And I know that's something near and dear to your heart in a project that you've been working on, Coil. We talked a little bit about this uh, back in that last podcast David referenced. Uh, I think it was the end of February. And at that point, we were in the process of putting together uh, a couple of individuals into uh, some volunteer coordinator positions. That has been done. You've seen some communications come out from us. Uh, we have launched a email address for those pilots who are interested in volunteering. And I'll just throw that out there right here, too. It's volunteerala at alpha.org. And if anybody listening to this is interested uh, in, in any of the committee work that we do, uh, please send them an, an email and they will be in touch with you. Uh, I know their response time has been really quick and they're doing their best to work with our uh, committee chairman and, and the needs that our committee chairman have on their various committees to, to place those individuals and, and to work that will be meaningful for them. And so that's a huge focus for us moving forward, too, is making sure that, one, the process of getting volunteers placed in committee work is uh, pretty seamless. And the other part that uh, is really important to this, too, is simply growing the numbers, right? The, the work that is done by the committees uh, is sometimes tireless, and, and there's a lot that gets done for this pilot group through the efforts of our volunteers. And so we want to make sure that we have you know, more hands to do the work, uh, especially as you mentioned, Will, that the pilot group grows, the, the needs of the pilot group increases as the size increases. So we really want to make sure that we have enough people there and that the, the bench is deep enough to do some work. Yeah. And I think one of the important things that we hear from people who've you know, expressed a desire to volunteer is they're not quite sure what they're interested in necessarily sometimes and where they fit in. And I think that fits into the other piece of kind of this campaign that we're talking about, which is an education piece. It is. And you're right. A lot of us, and I know when I was new to Alpha work, I wasn't sure of what every single committee did. Sure. You know, the safety committee handles things that uh, deal with safety, uh, scheduling, deals with scheduling. Uh, but there's a lot of nuance to that. And there's a lot of different opportunities inside each one of those major umbrellas for work to be done. Um, we still are working on uh, a, a project to try to highlight each one of these committees and, and the work that they do. Uh, in the meantime, you can go to alaskapilots.org under the committee page and you can see all the various committees that are there. 
Um, we're in the process of updating that as well to make sure that there's uh, a little bit of information on what each one of those committees uh, does on a daily basis. But we do want to focus on the education part. What is it that, that each one of these groups of people do? I think that's important for, for all of us to know. Yeah, and we'll be communicating more about that in the future. And while we're on this topic, if you don't mind, I'd actually like to put out a plug for my committee. I really would like to deepen and widen the bench here. And and in looking towards the future, you know, I, I love this work that I've been doing, but it's worth noting I have now been the strategic communications chairman over three negotiating cycles, if you include the uh, joint collective bargaining agreement. So we are, it seems like it's a long way away, but we're gearing up to the next negotiating cycle. And I want to make sure that when we get to that point, if I get hit by a bus or any other reason that takes me out of this position, that there's someone that can take over for me. So uh, I'd really like it. If you have any interest at all in any part of communications, please give me an email, david.campbell at alpa.org and let's chat. And I'd get you plugged in. You know, I'm not necessarily looking for someone that needs to feel like they have to take over the entire committee, but certainly anyone who's got an interest in this kind of work, let me know. And I think just to add on to that point, David, part of this MEC meeting that uh, I mentioned just uh, a few minutes ago is to host interviews for the negotiating committee. And the negotiating committee terms run concurrent. Um, you know, after implementation, you've got six months, and then they'll run concurrent with the end of my term, which is just under a year from now. And I really want to see people step up and volunteer, interview. If you have an interest in that, please do. Uh, all you have to do is reach out to, to Scott Mocus at scott.mocus at alba.org and uh, have him schedule you or look at any of the more recent MEC updates, which have a link to it. Well, you mentioned the MEC meeting coming up in April 17th. What else is on the horizon? In addition, either just before or after that MEC meeting, several of the, the councils are going to have their LEC meetings, and I would certainly encourage pilots to attend. Those are critical. Your input's critical. That's where your local input makes it to the MEC as a body. Um, obviously, we've talked about it. We're going to continue to grind away at all of the implementation issues uh, as we move forward. And as Drew just said, work on education and committee work, bolstering those volunteer ranks. Um, and then Drew, also, I think we're, we're looking to focus on a few airport sits here as soon as we can to come hear from you directly. Yeah, we will. And that was something that we were able to do uh, at the end of February and, and through March. Uh, it was a really great opportunity to get out there and hear from everybody. Uh, the hard part is making sure that we, we have time for everybody to get out there. And so we know that that one-on-one -on -one interaction is super important to what we do. It, it allows your voice to be heard right there. And, and we want to do more of those as we move forward. So continue to see these. And uh, we're also working on some uh, various pub events as we move into the summer months. All right. And to kind of bring it full circle from where we started in this podcast episode, here we are six months later after voting in the new contract. And it was really important that we heard from pilots to get to that point, it's still just as critical that we hear from you, the frustrations you're having, the goals that you want us to pursue, and the concerns that you have. So, Will, I, I know that's near and dear to your heart. You want to kind of take that up and, and then close us out? Yeah, certainly. I mean, that was certainly the foundation of our success. And, you know, if you look at the date, the calendar, um, it's not just six months ago, but if we look at a year ago, you know, a year ago, 
our focus was pretty clear. We had strongly identified goals and incredible unity built around achieving them. And, you know, if you think it was only a year ago that the all-base picket um, had just happened, and we're actually coming up on the anniversary of the strike vote authorization, the very things that pushed our CBA forward, as well as that input that we've received from pilots throughout the entire process. And, you know, now those goals, they just need adjusting. Um, We just want to feel, you know, as we started this podcast, we just want to feel the full effects of the language that we negotiated. And I want pods to rest assured that we're pushing the company hard. Um, But as we discussed, whether that's frustrations with third-party vendors or external factors like the company's ability to staff the airline, you know, sometimes it's less in our control, but we're, we're absolutely, and the MEC is absolutely working on it. We know it and we feel it. Um, and, and I, for one, again, never miss an opportunity to make sure that senior management knows the frustration. They're aware, and I can say that uh, whenever they can throw resources at it, uh, whether it's money or rescheduling vacation time for some of the IT programmers to get things over the wire, that part they've been supportive on. Um, but how we continue to move forward, you know, that part hasn't changed. Uh, if our focus has changed a little, that part hasn't. As we move forward, we've got to continue to talk to each other and to identify goals moving forward, stay focused on those goals together. Lots of talking to your elected reps to ensure that the MEC is following your direction. And as always, don't let distractions fracture our unity. This post-CBA environment is just ripe with the opportunity for the company or other external factors to distract us from our common goals. And, and so that said, understand your ALPA resources, use them. We'll be educating you, as we said, on who your committees are, who your volunteers are, and the body of work they do. And again, consider stepping in to help build that, that future. We do have uh, many more challenges ahead as we ramp into summer flying. And I, again, would encourage everybody to stay focused on what's important, the engagement with each other, with your reps, and above all, focused on safety and professionalism. Thank you, Will. Thank you all for coming in today. And I'd like to thank you for listening. This has been another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, David Campbell.